welcome to Christ for You, a podcast of RCA Lutheran Church and School, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I am Pastor Andrew Packer. This is the fifth midweek sermon from Johann Gerhard. This one's on Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 73. If I only have you, O Lord, then I ask for nothing more under heaven and in earth. Even though both my body and soul languish, you, God, are still my heart's comfort and portion forever. We read in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, about the great prophet Elijah, that he, as he was fleeing from Jezebel and traveled a day's journey into the wilderness, sat himself under a broom plant so that his soul would die, that is, that his life might come to an end. Enough already, he said. So then, Lord, take my soul. I am no better than my father's. This is a longing desire in this holy man, that he through death might be taken away and be transferred to another life. The Holy Spirit had wrought this in him through manifold sufferings and tribulations that he had to endure in this life. Not only did he have to live through a long, weary, difficult famine. Rather, after he had killed off the prophets of Baal, the godless queen Jezebel had sworn to kill him. She said, May the gods do this and that to me, if by tomorrow morning at this time I don't do the same to your soul as what you did to theirs. Therefore he had to flee and take himself into the wilderness. Through such manifold crosses, tribulations, and dangers, the Spirit of the Lord awakened in him a longing for death. For that is the blessed power of cross and persecution, that we amidst them discover the unreliability of temporal benefits, the vanity of everything earthly, the uncertainty of worldly comfort, and thereby turn focus from the temporal to eternal, from the earthly to the heavenly, from mankind to God. Even the prophet Asaph, who composed the 73rd Psalm, from which our passage has been taken, experienced this. For as he took to heart the weariness, labor, and misery of this temporal life, he says in the above-mentioned psalm, I am plagued daily, and my chastisement is there every morning. With this he has shown that he had to take upon himself his cross daily. He got up with it and went to bed with it. Through this contemplation of the weariness and manifold tribulations of this life, he was finally brought to the point where he directed himself from this temporal and earthly life towards God. However, this is my joy, he says, that I cling to God and place my confidence in the Lord of Lords. And as a result, he confessed out of a joyful spirit, Lord, if I have you, I'll ask for nothing else in heaven and earth. Even if my body and soul languishes away, yet you, God, are still my heart's comfort and portion forever. Such a little verse we now on this occasion wish to clarify and learn from it. How a Christian's heart has to be equipped if it desires to joyfully and peacefully depart this world. The first thing that prepares and equips one for a blessed death is turning the heart to the highest good, that is to God. Lord, if I only have you, Asaph says, if we are to die a blessed death, we have to die in the Lord. But if we are to be able to die in the Lord, we then have to have God abiding in us. But if God is to dwell in us with his grace, then our heart has to be turned and directed to him. The Holy Spirit works such a desire for the highest good in the heart of a true Christian through his power. For the art of love is that it draws everything to itself. Now then, however, the Holy Spirit is the essence of love in the Holy Trinity. That is why he draws and turns the hearts of true Christians to God. The believers are born of God and have become partakers of the divine nature. That's why they turn to the author of their faith. If we are to die blessedly, then our heart first has to be established in peace and rest. But then we do not obtain rest of our heart once we turn to God, especially since our soul is also created by God 
so that it desires and is receptive to the highest good, may not come to its rest until it obtains it, as this is portrayed for us by the lost son in Luke 15. The prodigal son had turned away from his father, turned himself into a stranger. He, however, could not come to rest in peace until he had turned back to the home of his father. So also our soul has turned away from God through sin and has attached itself to creatures. It, however, may not come to rest unless it once more turns to him, namely to its author, which is God. If the soul is to come to rest, it must become satisfied. But then nothing can satisfy the desires of the soul other than God alone, who is the unending highest good. The other imperfect good of creatures will not satisfy the soul, for the highest good is nobler than all creatures. That's why God himself has to satisfy the soul with himself. If that is to happen, the soul must turn to God. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. That's why we should turn to him as our origin, and we should regard him as the end of all our desires. Mankind is the last creation of God. For as God the Lord created mankind, it is recorded in Genesis 2-2 that the Lord rested. With this, he wanted to show that he wanted to rest in mankind as his own temple. If that is to happen, we also must turn to him and seek our rest in him. Matthew 14, verses 22 and following, it is recorded that the disciples of Christ on one occasion sailed off alone. The Lord was not with them in the ship. The ship suffered stress from the waves and from the wind and was pitched back and forth until finally Christ seated himself in the ship. Then it immediately became still. So also the little ship of our heart sometimes is tossed back and forth with various sorrows by winds of tribulation and is unable to achieve peaceful calm till God the Lord himself has made himself available within it. What do you then say? How shall I find God? Must I ascend up to him in heaven or ascend down into the depths? Not so. Rather, the word is near you, says St. Paul in Romans 10.8. God has placed his grace into the word. It is in the word that he wants himself to be found. That is why Christ says in John 4.23, He who loves me shall keep my word, and my Father shall love him, and we shall come to him and make our dwelling place in him. In the very same word of God, we find the independent word, namely Jesus Christ. For we are unable to find God apart from Christ. Also, we are unable to obtain the gracious indwelling of God, except alone through Christ. In Christ alone, we find the grace of God and rest for our heart. By our sins, we separate ourselves from God. Consequently, we cannot come back to God except through Christ alone. He has paid for our sins and has taken away its wall of separation. Accordingly, Anyone who clings to Christ with genuine trust has blessedly been converted to God. He has found rest for his heart. Therefore, he is also prepared for a blessed death. The love of God shines forth in Christ's incarnation. For how could God have loved us more highly than that he has bestowed to us the gift of his Son? In the holy life of Christ shines forth our righteousness, whereby we are able to stand before God. In the sufferings of Christ, we find the redemption from sin and our reconciliation with God. In the death of Christ, we find our life before God. In the resurrection of Christ, we find the victory against all our foes. In the ascension of Christ and in the throne of his glory, we also find our glory that he has prepared for us by his going to the Father. For it is to be seen that Christ is the true way through whom we come to God. As he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Behold, when you by true faith place your trust in the merits of Christ, then through such faith Christ shall live within you. 
and thus you will have been properly converted to God, and will have found God. For a contrite and believing heart is the true proper dwelling of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the high and lofty one, who lives forever, whose name is holiness. I live on high and in holiness, and with those who have a crushed and broken heart. That's why Christ says in Luke 17, 21, The kingdom of God is inside of you. And indeed he, God, is not far from anyone among us. For we live, move, and have our being in him. However, we must receive his indwelling. We must taste how kind the Lord is. That occurs when we ourselves, with true devotion, go inside of us, sweep out of our heart the lust of the eyes, fleshly lusts, and arrogantly proud living of this world. And with true longing, groaning sighs turn to God. Then we shall be found in him and obtain comfort, joy, and rest from him. Now whoever has God thusly, the same person lives in the midst of death. For God is the true essence of life, which will not subdue death in us. Whoever has God thusly, he finds comfort amidst death. For God is the fount and source of all steadfast comfort, a comfort that death shall not take from us. Whoever has God thusly, such a person rejoices amidst death, like St. Stephen did. For God is the fount and source of true heavenly joy, which death will not be able to disturb. Also to such preparation, as the second part, there also pertains the disregard of everything temporal. As our little verse states, If I only have you, I will ask for nothing else in heaven and earth. Or as it actually reads in the Hebrew language, Why would I want heaven if I don't have you? Why would I want the earth if you were not beside me? In death we shall be separated from everything temporal. At that time, we must leave behind everything dear to us, beloved parents, beloved children, beloved spouse, beloved possessions. If we then desire to die saved and in death joyfully forsake everything dear to us in this world, then we must first turn the inordinate love of the heart from all these things. Like St. Paul admonishes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29-31, Those who have wives, be as if they have none. Those who rejoice, as if they are not rejoicing. Those who purchase, as if they possess nothing. And those who utilize this world, they do not abuse it, for the essence of this world shall perish. After death shall follow the divine judgment, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great crash. The elements shall melt from heat, and the earth and the works that are in it shall burn up. Second Peter 3.10 And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it. From his countenance fled the earth and the heavens, and there was found no status for them. Revelation 20.11 Anyone then who wants to set his confidence upon this natural heaven, or hang his heart upon the temporal, shall be miserably betrayed, and shall not have a blessed death or be prepared for the judgment that is to follow. However, he who in this life dies to the world, and that he does not highly regard the temporal, that person can also die blessedly, as we see from St. Paul saying in Galatians 6.14, Far be it for me to boast, except solely about the cross of our Lord through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. That's why he could also say in Philippians 1.23, I have a desire to depart. The creatures are altogether subject to vanity, for the curse and vice clings to the natural heavens and earth. All its works and plagues pass on to mankind and shall be poured out upon it. For just as all of nature was created on account of man, and just as he, if he had remained in the state of innocence, would have possessed all creation for his benefit, so also the entire workings of nature comes and goes upon mankind, because his nature has been subjected to the curse on account of sin. Also, all evil workings of nature come together in people, and a person has to feel it all. 
Who then would not willingly want to turn his heart away from creatures and wish that he through death would be completely rescued from it? For anyone who has at once tasted the sweetness of the heavenly kingdom, the temporal kingdom will immediately become bitter to him. If the perfect good once comes into a heart, then the patchwork would immediately cease. If our heart clings to the world, then we have still not been established into true freedom. For this is true freedom, to not cling to any creature with the heart, but solely cling to God with true love. Till it comes to this point, we are unable to die joyfully. For he who clings to the creatures is not prepared to willingly forsake them by death. The third thing that is required for a blessed death is for one to willingly hand over one's body and life, even if thereby my body and soul is shattered. In death the best friends, body and soul depart. The body is laid into death's dust. If we are to die blessedly and joyfully, then we must not regard our body highly, but rather willingly hand it over to God. Why would we not willingly give our body over into death? It is nothing more than a decaying tabernacle, a body of death and sin. The poison of sin has so corrupted the body that such poison and such corruption cannot be taken from the body, for it must first rot away under the earth, becoming dust and ashes. That's why we should let our bodies be buried under the earth, so that sin's poison can be completely pressed out of it. That's why St. Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. Who will rescue me from the body of this death? Here we see how one is shattered with fear, the other with sadness, the third with greed, and the fourth with anxiety and evil conscience. The indwelling sin, which immediately initiates this mortality into a human body, does all this until the body finally actually comes under the earth. For since we carry about sin in our bodies, we thus also carry about death in us. That removes all powers, and the body decays from day to day until it finally actually collapses. There are so many kinds of illnesses that a person can barely enumerate them all. Each individual member of the body has its special illness. These devour and destroy the body daily. And even though the physician lengthily tries to patch it up and continues to work on the image of the earthly body, there still will finally only come an image of death from it, and it will become a broken vessel. That is the pathetic, miserable, and pitiful situation of our bodies, that both the poisonous worms, sin, and death chew on them daily until they finally have totally chewed them up and consume them. Why then would we not gladly and willingly give up into death this miserable body? Because we of course have the sure promise of God that he someday shall once more bring it forth from the dust and create a glorious body from it. It is sown perishable and shall be raised imperishable. It is sown in disgrace and shall be raised up in glory. It is sown in weakness and shall be raised strong. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 42 and 43. We know, however, that as our earthly house is shattered, that we have a new building built by God, a house not made by hands that is eternal in heaven, 2 Corinthians 5.1. If we properly ponder this, we then shall rejoice when our immortal soul is rescued out of the filthy, messy tabernacle of this mortal body. We also thereby offer an acceptable sacrifice when we willingly give our bodies up into death. In the same way that God commanded Abraham that he should slaughter his son Isaac, and he thereby had his obedience tested. So likewise God desires of us that we through willing obedience give up our soul's bodily tabernacle and dwelling place into death. This also will be an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to him. Also we should not hereby find any loss for he will once again give us back this life in the same way he gave dear Isaac back to his father. The fourth thing is to humbly await divine comfort. When my soul is languishing and pining away you O God are still my heart's comfort and portion at all times. 
This languishing of the soul occurs amidst great trials and temptations. When we think that God has turned his mercy away from us, when we think that the divine comfort has been taken away from us, frequently the best of Christians experience such trials and temptations in order that they may see what inward suffering Christ endured and from which he has saved us. But especially, as Dr. Luther says, such trials and temptations are to be found at the time of death, and that is the serpent that stings us in the heel. That is, the devil especially plagues us with his temptations at the end of life. At that time, we should also say with Asaph, God, you still are my heart's comfort and my portion at all times. You indeed are a God of comfort and the Father of mercy. You have always renewed comfortless souls. You shall also be my heart's comfort and you shall be my portion. No trial or temptation shall be able to take away from me the portion or the comfort which you have laid aside for me in the treasure chest of your mercy. No devil shall be able to separate me from the portion or the salvation that you have prepared for me in Christ. That's why it's written in 1 John 3.20, that if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Even when we may think that God is far away from us because we are struck in such hellish anxiety, he still is right beside us, for he upholds our hearts so they do not sink into such trials and temptations. He awakens our hearts so that we cry out to him. He ultimately leads us out of such anxiety and bestows upon us heavenly, divine joy that he has notarized and sealed to us with his beloved Son, who also cried out on the cross, My God, why have you forsaken me? However, through such suffering he entered into glory. God, through Christ, also helps us to that end. Amen. Thanks for listening to Christ for You. Blessings on your day.